0: Welcome to the Spacecraft Podcast, presented by Dan Moscrop and brought to you by them.co.uk, who provides specialist graphic design support for commercial architects, developers and interior designers.
1: So I'm joined here today by Oliver Kampschoff from CJCT, or Carey Jones Chapman Tolcher And so far on the podcast, Oliver's from the largest practice, uh, so CJCT have over... 50 people, uh, London and Leeds office, and they work on some really interesting things. Oliver, I thought it'd be interesting to talk initially about how CJCT approached things, because we've talked before about the fact that you're very client-focused, especially Tim, who sort of really looks at what benefit you can get the client out of each project.
0: That's right. Well, thanks for having me. It's not only Tim that, that's client-focused, but he's, he's spearheading the practice, so to say. And, uh, and I think we all are um, really sort of looking after the, the client's projects rather than our own projects, if, if that makes sense.
1: So really much more part of the culture within the organisation?
0: It is, yeah. I think that's really embedded. And, and I think sort of as the headline is that we take a, a three-prong attack, maybe you can hmm. describe it that way, to projects. And that's looking at projects uh, from an urban scale and master planning looking at the, the context of each site, um, the, the current context, the wider context, the emerging context of many sites. Then we look at the, the architecture itself, what is the building, the efficiencies, the design drivers behind it. Uh, but we also look at the interior side and what the ultimate fit-out could be for a project and really design the building from the outside in at the same time from the inside out. So looking at it really holistically. I think that that is the general approach and and really with a strong focus on a value outcome for our clients.
1: You mentioned that as a methodology, you've got something
0: called quick optioneering. Could you tell us a bit about that? Well, it essentially comes down to hand sketching at, at the beginning of a project and then developing a range of options, really testing different scenarios, really interrogating the client's brief, sometimes helping the client to create a brief. Sometimes they don't even know 100% what they want out of a project so testing with a lot of options that can be five to ten different options hand sketched out quickly within a matter of days um, to really get the conversation going with the client to engage with the client and then start at a very high level to drill down to what is really important what are the key drivers for the project
1: You mentioned sort of the hand sketching and and very quick turnaround. I was actually quite surprised when we initially started talking just how quickly you guys can turn things around.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a week. I mean, you know, there's always different levels of certainty, you know, that, that you get out of quick work or longer work. Uh, but sometimes the, 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 the really high level of certainty isn't required. So, so a quick sketch can flesh out issues very quickly, can get down to the bottom of what's what's the key driver here. And I think, and I think we have a, a knack and a, and a real interest in getting to the, the core issues quickly. You know, and understanding that.
1: And is that quite a collaborative process that you go through with the client involved at all times, or is that is it uh, what we're very guilty of in the design industry? I know is that we sort of still a little bit like, look, Mum, what we've done. You know, you go away work on something and you go for the big presentation, or is yeah. is just more of a collaborative experience for the client? Or
0: well, to be honest, it depends on the client. Right. So some of our clients who are um, professional investors, professional developers. They have a clear idea in mind what they want. They give us a, a, a definitive brief and then it's a it's a it's a quicker conversation and and other clients are maybe less defined or want to explore more at the beginning the the potential of their project. And then we take a stronger lead in terms of here's what you could get. You know, and then the options vary maybe wider. Um and we take a stronger design lead. But it really depends on the engagement level that the client wants at the start.
1: Fair enough. I'm a little bit naive to things like this uh, or, or have a lack of understanding of the, the sort of process that you might go through from a client perspective. I sort of understand the term master planning. I understand, you know, the, the, the architectural side of things. But if you were going to go through a step-by-step sort of layman's terms so someone as stupid as me could understand it, what's the sort of process a client would go through? So master planning is
0: obviously the first thing you do. Master planning is a big word. And sometimes master planning can just mean... Positioning the building in the right corner of the site or with the right alignment sometimes it means looking at twenty buildings at the same time and, and sort of creating a new quarter really so so it varies on the scale of the project but essentially the process works for us that uh, often the client come to us with a site say so, you are know, we're thinking about purchasing a building or we have purchased a building or a site? can we look at what we can do with it in terms of a a quantum of area that we can establish so it it starts off with very high level economic drivers saying is this a viable project Um, what quantum of area do we need to achieve for a client to meet their business case
1: would the client typically be a developer or would you you also speak to an end client like a top 100
0: ftse company well we're we're working for banks some of the city banks here Uh, in that case that is more of the, the fit-out work that we're doing. They come with a definitive building floor plan saying, well, we need a trading floor or we need you know, an office floor of a different sort, and, and we plan it out that way. So, so that's a quite a defined brief, yeah. and um, and that doesn't necessarily start at master planning level.
1: So from a developer's p- perspective, what could they come to you with you to get the very best out of you as an architect? How, how does the sort of developer-architect relationship work?
0: in the best ways? Well, I think you get the most of the of us, and I think generally of, out of an architect, uh, with, with high aspirations and a willingness to push, I think, on, on different levels. That is push, probably a, a, a quantum of area, you know, to, to make the economics stack up, uh, but also sort of a design push and, and probably in that way uh, a recognition that good design and a quantum of area go very much hand in hand. And giving the, the architect the freedom to explore that Will sort of yield a, a great outcome for the client ultimately.
1: And do you find the developer client compared to say your banks, the developer has a much more, a much clearer idea of what they're expecting to get from you than say a, a, a large organisation might? No,
0: not necessarily. Actually, I think the banks they know what they want. They, they need a certain certain number of desks quite often, and, and sort of certain workforce, and that needs to be accommodated with the developer because the the site is clearer to start with you know quite often you're starting with a with a blank page or with an existing building that's sort of expected to be demolished and it then becomes a bit more gray in some way or, or maybe there's a greater opportunities in terms of could this be a five-story building could this be a 15-story building could this be a 40-story building you know and, and and with that you need to analyze the townscape context you really need to know where you are what's happening around it and that really starts to influence then how you approach the, the site and, and what you plan for it.
1: And what sort of projects do you like the best is it Is it that starting from scratch or I mean personally, I sort of find that sometimes the parameters Within a project or a brief are the things that make it the most engaging. You know, if, if there's a big problem you've got to solve.
0: Yeah, well, there's always a big problem you have to solve. <laughs> I think that's that's universal in all design tasks. I think that's that's what we do. You know, it's problem solvers, really. And you know, but we're trying to be inspirational problem solvers. I think that's what we like to do. In some way, it it doesn't matter so much about the brief, what it is. It, uh, it matters more what the aspirations of the clients are and, and how engaged they are in the process. So I think that's sort of the driver that makes it really interesting for us, you know, to have a yeah have great aspirations for a project.
1: And, and what what from your sort of portfolio of work, what what are your favourite projects that you've worked
0: on? So I have one that is it's a few years back actually now. Um, that were completed in 2013, mm-hmm. and that is the Condé uh, School of Fashion and Design in Greek Street in Soho. That's a that's a great project, primarily because it was a great client, really. And what made them a, a great client is, in, in some way, they're not property people, they're not property developers, and that brings a certain naivety, so that maybe opens the possibilities a little wider. What can be done, but they were incredibly good decision makers, and that made them a great client, really. So they, uh, they tried to gather the best information they could get at the time. It was, a, in, in many ways, a high risk uh, project because it had to be done very quickly. And we always tried to gather the best information we had at the time, base a decision on that, and stick to it. And, and in the end, I think it, it yielded a, a fantastic outcome for them. I think the school is very successful now. Uh, I think it's a it's a great design that, that lasts and stands a test of time. And it was stressful but fun along the way as well. And I think we'd like to make it fun.
1: So I'll, I'll get some pictures off you and put them on the blog as well. But for somebody listening, what, could you describe a little bit about that as a project, the scale, size and the bits that you loved the most?
0: Scale-wise, it's not that big Sort of, in the context of the work that we do. It was about a 1,000-square-meter overall floor area. Essentially, it was two buildings in Greek Street in Soho, London. They were knocked together to act as one school, higher education school that uh, Condé uh, established at the time. So it was a refurbishment project, but a very substantial refurbishment project. We took down the original facade of one of the buildings, stripped out the building so essentially it was just a structure and a staircase standing and then rebuilt it from the ground. That was all very challenging in a conservation area context. Uh, There was a live nightclub operating underneath uh, the site for six days a week and we had to keep operational through all of that. In the end, I think it it, it became a great architectural project, great fit-out project, just by the way we, we interacted with a the client. They, they, I think they inspired us with sort of good decisions. They, they brought ideas to the table. We brought ideas to the table. And it was a great dialogue.
1: That's great. So from, from their background, obviously, Condé Nast, I, I immediately think of sort of their fashion publications and things. Yeah. Did they have a really strong drive uh, on a visual and sort of trend level as to what they wanted to look like? Or? Well,
0: we, we had a long dis- discussion about colors and trends, and... Um, in the end, we took the decision to stay clear of that. And because I think uh, colours age, mm-hmm. some colours age better than others, but typically you can say, okay, if it was that shade of green, that was a 2003 building, if it's that shade of red, it must have been designed around 2008. It's not quite as simple as that, but I think there's some truth in that. So we went for all white. It, it is really white on white on white on the inside, uh, then specific accents of material rather than colour, um, to give it some warmth, um, but I think that sort of set a uh, essentially a, a background canvas that the college could fill with their own artwork uh, that they place in there, with their own prints, their own magazine covers, and fill it with life through their activity rather than being dominated um, by the building itself.
1: That's really interesting. Both Neil Usher and Jenny Jones talked about trying to create a canvas. I think. I mean, I've just got to stress that these are my own opinions, but uh, I've seen a lot of images from the White Company, which I know is won of loads of awards, but for me it feels so sterile and clinical that it just felt, you know, that, that you can't... That there's no autonomy to the individuals to sort of change the space, whereas clearly you're talking about allowing people to take the space on to, to yeah. bring it to life. I
0: mean, uh, that was very interesting. For example, in the entrance area, we were looking for a feature light fitting. To, to, to hang in a, in a double-height atrium. You sort of start off almost with the usual suspects. You go to Iguccini and to Via and, and some of the, the high-quality lighting manufacturers see what they have in their catalogue. And the client was very against that. And they said, we don't want that. They all thought they looked too manly. So, so that was an interesting comment. And, and they found a lighting des- a designer, a, a, young, a young artist called Naomi Paul, who uh, specialised in crocheted light fittings. And so she, she crocheted a life fitting for us, which was two meter wide and three meters high. It looks a little bit like a sombrero, but it, it looks fantastic. And it's sort of a real sort of dash of color then, dash of texture, of warmth in the entrance area. And I think that surrounded by a lot of white walls and, and mirrors and sort of neutral colors uh, creates a real accent that the client has brought to the building that we really embraced and uh, that I think in the end made that space work.
1: And how far did you go down the line? Were you part of the interior team as well? Or? Yes, yeah, we did, yeah. So with the white walls, did you bring in colour through the furniture or...? What, well, what? a lot of the
0: furniture is white. Okay. Yeah, the, 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 the colour comes through artwork, really, and, and the students. I mean, one of the big debates in the project was always how we make a reference to Condé Nast and their publications, and, you know, Vogue is their public, flagship publication in this case, without it making too obvious and so we designed a, a mirrored entrance corridor that gives a knot to a runway you know in a, in a very abstract way so we think that is abstract enough that if you think about it you you might get it but it's not so in your face that it becomes a joke and 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 becomes too obvious and then sort of people reflect themselves in it and, and you know they have very vibrant population of students, of teachers in the building and it's it's those people actually that, that bring it to life. It's almost More.
1: like a gallery for the people
0: Yeah, and, and I guess you could abstract that to a magazine.
1: I can imagine it working really well for Condé Nast, I think my, uh, a floor-to-ceiling mirror in my office would probably be my worst nightmare, but that's probably because I'm growing a bit of a 44-man's belly um. So, so, what are you working on yeah. with CJCT at the
0: moment? So, we've got, we've got some some great workspace projects at the moment. One of the largest one uh, that I'm involved with is uh, called Scale Space. That is a collaboration between Imperial College and Blenheim Charcot. and we're de- uh, developing about two, twenty thousand square metres of office space uh, in White City, and again, providing a canvas, s- staying with that theme. For uh, technology companies, for tech focused startups to develop in the area under the guidance of Blenheim Charcot and Imperial College.
1: So that's quite an interesting connection. So, Imperial College, obviously, education facility, and then Blenheim Chalcott, they're sort of um, incubators, sort of, or investors? As, as
0: far as I understand, their, their business model spans both sides in terms right. of their providing the space, but also providing some of the funding or providing the links to funders. Oh,
1: wow, really interesting connection. What's happening with that space then?
0: What's going to make that interesting and dynamic? So it's, um, well, it is providing a, a blank canvas mm-hmm. for them. And and for us as architects there, it is, the interesting part is it forms part of a larger master plan um, that is developed by a, by a different architect, but we need to fit in there. We need to fit in there in a, a temporary Manner So the building has a shorter lifespan than most buildings have. It's expected a lifespan of between 10 and 20 years only. You know, that's, that's very short. And so we're to come up with a concept that provides great quality workspace environment that is relatively economic to build because we're not expecting to be there for 60, 80, 100 years. But that still conveys the aspirations of a, a tech building that, that you want to be associated with. So, so that was quite a challenge from a from a design point of view, from an architectural point of view, and uh, and I think we've overcome that through uh, going for a modular construction, so prefabricated modules that are then overclad with a effective but and simple but good looking system, so you wouldn't know from the outside that it's a, a modular building.
1: And are you finding you're using more prefab stuff now? I mean, I know it generally there's a lot more press about prefabrication. Is it yeah. becoming much more
0: practical? It really depends on the project, and it works best when you have an, a, a clear side in a rectangular box. <laughs> yeah, so and Then it becomes really efficient. As soon as you, you, you venture into too many different types of modules, it, it just becomes ineff- ineffective. You also have to recognize that it has fairly long lead-in times, so you need to factor that into your program. We see that in residential projects, uh, quite a lot in, in terms of prefabricated bathrooms and utility cupboards, so parts of the building being prefabricated or parts of the facade being prefabricated. So it's definitely becoming more and more. Will this be the solution for every building in the future? I think that's a long time away.
1: I know that CJCT do huge residential projects. Do you think there's any learnings from residential that you bring into the workspace?
0: Well, some of the spaces that we're looking at for our residential buildings sort of sit in the middle and, and provide this, uh, is it third or fourth space? I always get it wrong in terms of the space between home and office. Yeah, I think it's third space, but well, I might so, be wrong. Maybe we moved <laughs> into the fourth. Now to pressure. No, I think under pressure. There. And um, because a lot of the developments uh, we're working on are our so-called PRS, private rental sector units, and they focus quite highly on, uh, on social spaces for residents, Communal spaces and a lot of that involves uh, workspaces as well, and providing a home office within the building itself, and and they can be quite sizable for you know, it's, it's almost a workspace for up to 30 people, but it's still in your home, so you don't have to leave the building to get to it. Yet you want to be out of your apartment to work there, so it's it's providing a, a workspace environment, possibly providing a meeting room environment, so you could you know work from there, invite uh, collaborators over. Um, yet I think it has a more homely feel, if that's the right word for it, than, let's say, a, a, a WeWork or a, a shared office space in the city that, that's, de- that's a dedicated shared workspace.
1: So because it's in the sort of domestic or residential arena, it's sort of handled slightly differently?
0: Yeah, I think it, it still has a strong workspace focus, but I think it has sort of softer aspects to it.
1: You mentioned, so we, we've, we've talked about how you, you take on a new build and then we've talked, talked a little bit about how residential and, and workplace are connected. What about refurb kind yeah. of work?
0: So we're working on a, a great refurb project at the moment in Great Portland Street. A client approaches a few years back uh, to see what can be done with the building. It has a commercial shop and, and restaurant on the ground floor and then five floors of offices above. Uh, we're we're extending the existing building up by one by one floor and essentially stripping the old building out. Extending most floor ba- plates a little bit, just really to, to maximize the value for the client. And refurbishing, giving it a fresh look and, and, and make it an office environment as sort of that's fit for the modern office in terms of its environmental factors, in terms of noise control, in terms of uh, performance of the, of the building envelope and heating, cooling and all of these aspects.
1: Oh, quite interesting
0: challenges, very interesting, especially you know it 's it 's in, it's in, in uh, westminster it 's a conservation area uh, environment so so there it 's really important to know again it comes back to townscape in terms of what you can and what you can 't do and and you know planning plays a, uh, the planning system plays a, a big role in this so it 's not just about interior fit out and trying to to see whether where the meeting rooms are and and and, and what type of Uh, workspace environment you want to create it it starts off with really trying to 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 maximize the floor space area available creating a canvas for an interior fit out to be uh, layered upon in the future
1: so imagine that kind of work is much more challenging on a technical level but do they tend to take longer to do
0: Uh, on a refurbishment project it it depends on it depends on the building and what you find along the way and there's always surprises. Sometimes it's asbestos that wasn't discovered in the first survey, so in the second survey, that might put additional layers of time onto it. Sometimes it is uh, structural stability is different to what you expected in the first instance. You, you always factor in certain unknowns, but it surprises every time again.
1: We've talked about uh, scale space uh, and other projects we've talked about also include sort of this the co-working and workspace for higher sort of trend that's going on at the moment. This seems to be taking up quite a bit of your work. What's your feeling on the co-working environment and what's happening in the world of of
0: offices now? I mean, it seems to be a huge trend. I wonder how many co-working spaces there will need to be. But you see more and more smaller companies venturing into it. And I think it's it's great in a way that that it provides in great locations a a small-scale office for young companies uh, that they can grow into quickly and grow out of quickly as well, without tying themselves into long leases, uh, without tying themselves into huge commitments. You know, often it is in is is a one month notice period that you have in these spaces to move in or out, and I think it's that added flexibility that is very valuable. And and I think on top of that, it's the technology platforms that some of these uh, co working spaces offer, almost as an added layer, as an added bonus. To to the actual physical environment that they're creating.
1: Mm, I noticed um, Katrina um, Larkin we had on the other week from Fora. A big part of their offering is the technology that goes on behind it. And um, speaking to Neil Usher, one of the things that he got wound up about was the the office beer tap. And right. how, <laughs> yeah, and I, how, I think that's a bit of a gimmick rather than a driver. But yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing we touched on was uh, this sort of Google slide from I think 2005, where yeah. other organisations were just like, "Oh, I well, have a slide. I'll have a slide," but not really understanding that they needed the culture. And my fear is has been that the co-working thing. Uh, everyone's looking at the WeWorks and they're looking at the Foras and. Mm. All the people who are doing it really well, but they're sort of copying a watered-down version of it and not really putting the attention to detail.
0: A workspace really needs to reflect the culture of an organisation. I think that that is that is the, the key point of a of a good fit out of a good workspace. Now, a lot of these companies that move into WeWork or similar establishments, they're still establishing their culture, and and I think WeWork and 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 co-working spaces. They cannot provide that environment necessarily because they need to provide a and somewhat it 's not a bland environment, but it is sort of the the middle where where everybody feels comfortable in rather than than a let's say google who who create a very very strong internal work culture but that only works for google i 'm you know probably hSbc mm-hmm. uh, you know they wouldn't have the same work culture because it 's a different business and so I think sort of these, these co-working spaces provide a, a great platform for a temporary time when then companies are ready to jump into their own space. And I think then it's the opportunity for them to create their own environment and, and create a, a, a fit-out that really reflects their working culture.
1: We, we've got common friends, and I've heard you described as uh, the architect's architects, which I thought was a lovely way of describing what you do. What, what, what drives you? What do you get excited about architecturally?
0: Oh, well, I get excited about clients. <laughs> no, I do. Yeah. I mean, it—it it, it, it is really that sort of. It is—it's it's a people business. You know, in the end, it's—it's—it's it's, it's people that you're dealing with. Uh, it's spaces that you create for people. Environments you're creating for people. You know, that's—that's—that's a that's the, that's the key driver. And I get excited about the discourse about sort of what what makes great spaces. I, I'd like to encourage people to create great spaces, but also um, recognizing sort of the economic drivers behind it, because. If, if it doesn't stack up, there is no project. Mm. I
1: mean, you said there about encouraging uh, people to make great spaces. I believe you've, you've got quite a strong ethos about mentoring within CJCT about getting people to to be involved and, and making sure that the standard's really high.
0: Yeah, so we we give people a lot of responsibility. That's how we like to work. We like to work efficiently. So we will, and 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 for that to work, we need to pass on our knowledge. To, you know w- within the team so they can they can take decisions and take good decisions you know that's that's important not just take a decision that it is informed and and considered and and in the end it's sort of a, a good outcome so it, so we spend a lot of time uh, with our teams educating them teaching them and growing them into sort of all-rounded uh, architects and designers
1: and what do you feel that's happening in the in the sort of back to workplace really um what's happening in the sort of workplace world at the moment one of the things we we've it been mentioned a couple of times already in the podcast. Has been that we're finding the open plan is, is people are moving away from open plan and demanding walls. How dare mm. they?
0: Well, it is it is a dis- distraction, isn't it? I mean, it comes down to to acoustics, really. I think um, that that is a big driver, and and I think that's something that's that's recognised relatively recently only that, mm. that acoustics is the big problem, and I think a lot of open plan workspaces suffer from poor acoustic planning. And it just wasn't considered. It was cost cut. It wasn't deemed important enough, and I think there's a fallout from that. and And the, and the first phase you see that with that is that everyone's wearing headphones, which which then kills the collaboration. and And so there is, I guess, the, there is the move to to agile working. I mean, that's not really a new word. That's been around for a long time. But I think the concept of providing different work settings with, within a workspace, I think that's still very valid. I think mm. that that is, is is a very good approach. I think it has to be recognised that different clients need different workspaces. So for some, the open plan, let's call it, or you know, shared shared workspace works perfectly fine, and for others, it just doesn't. So I think it's ignorant for a designer to come to a client and say, "You need to have an open workspace. It's so much more efficient. It saves you area. It saves you. You get more people on a on a, on a floor." I don't think that's the right approach. Just as as a, as a blanket approach for some, that may be right. Uh, for a lot of clients, it isn't. So I think it's good to have a, it's an important to have an informed discussion with the client at the start of the project about how they work. You know what sort of the level of concentration that's needed from different individuals within the organisation. Well done, agile workplaces provide good different settings. They're not necessarily more space efficient than an individual office fit out or an open plan office fit out. It sort of sits somewhere in, in, in the middle, I guess, between that. But it, it, it comes down to, to getting a good brief and a good conversation with a client about what they really need uh, to make their workforce work efficiently.
1: You know? Everyone's sort of starting to talk about open plan and uh, the, the pros and cons of that. Is there anything you can foresee that people are going to start talking about next? What, anything down the pipeline? Is that too tricky to answer?
0: Mm, I think it's tricky to answer. I think I think it's the softer workspaces that you see, so where... where where an, an open-plan office, or or work, let, let's move away from open-plan, the word, but yeah. where where a workspace has more soft aspects to it, more loungy aspects, but they're more embedded within the wider area rather than separate.
1: To more sort I, of a breakout space. Yeah, kind but
0: of. yes, and and I think a, a better acoustic control. I think people have have recognised that that it is important that that the concentration levels of people, you know, drives their efficiency you know their, and their happiness at, at the at the work at the workplace because uh, because most people want to get the work done you know they don't they don't come to an office just to hang out and, and so allowing them to do that and giving them the environment to do that um, starts with acoustics and i see that as sort of being recognized more and more in the in the in the workplace workplace world
1: what's next for cjct and oliver great
0: projects great, great. projects. Great project. Complete you know some some of these projects that we talked about earlier, they're on site at the moment, then the early delivery uh, phases and seeing them through to a good completion. I think that, that, is, that is the key. We, we want to see it through to the end. We, we get into this business for you know, delivering spaces, not for making pretty pictures. They help along the way, but it's not the final outcome of what we want to do. Yeah, more engaging clients, more great projects.
1: Excellent. Well, Oliver, thank you very much for coming in. Um, Really interesting chat and really good to catch up.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Spacecraft Podcast, presented by Dan Moscrop, brought to you by them.co.uk, who provides specialist graphic design support for commercial architects, developers and interior designers. We'll be back with another episode soon, so please subscribe and keep listening.